You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. It's amazing to meet you. It is simply extraordinary. David Dunn, the only person to survive that train wreck all those years ago. What do you do? I'm in security. You think you have superpowers? It's a feeling. Vision. I have to touch them. You believe you are a protector. My name is Patricia. I have no question. There are two dozen identities. I'm Mary Reynolds. Por favor, senora. We almost got you, bro. That live in that body with you. The beast is coming any minute now for you guys. But what I am questioning is your belief that you are something more than human. And yet, it is true. What do we call you, sir? First name, Mr. Last name, Glass. Hello, and welcome back to Fan Critical. And yes, I have returned from Rwanda, where I was doing my charity work, as Lucy nicely said during the Bandersnatch and Bird Box reviews. Today, we're going to be covering Glass, starring Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, James McAvoy, and of course, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Now, there is going to be spoilers for Unbreakable, Split, and Glass, because it's kind of a whole trilogy package, and I think we need to go through all of it to try and make sense of the madness in uh, Shyamalan's mind. Today, I am joined by Gaz only. Only Gaz. I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, you know, tanned, sunned up, and now I'm back in cold cold England but unfortunately the other uh, podcasters have been locked away in a psychiatric facility for having delusions of grandeur yeah we had to put them there because uh trying to convince them that they're nothing special at all and obviously let's just say John's lost it he has not taken it well I always knew he would be the first to lose his mind just a shame it's happened to him while he's um relatively young you know and the thing is as well (laughs) young John come on um you give Lucy a chance to host and it goes to her head immediately. And Emma is exactly where she belongs, so that's all good. Now, I think we start by talking about M. Night Shyamalan himself and our history. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. M. Night Shyamalan and our history <laughs> watching his films and sort of his renaissance, Gaz. So what's your relationship with M. Night? Because I know you two were quite close a while ago and, and now you've drifted apart. It Doesn't everybody feel like that? Um, like they used to be close with him and uh, not so much these days. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously in his heyday, he's he's made some absolutely brilliant films and he's also had some absolute shockers. And Ooh, let's segue with that shocker statement, Gareth, because I think what we'll do is we'll we'll talk about his career. He starts out with a series of hits, The Sixth Sense, Brilliant film. Unbreakable. 
also very good. Signs. Some people don't signs, like it. I yeah. love signs. I love it. Oh, Even on. the village, to an extent, is kind of okay. And that game. I like the village. Yeah, I mean, it's quite cool. It's got another classic twist in it, but, you know, it's okay. That gave him essentially carte blanche to direct whatever he wanted from the studios. He was touted as the next Spielberg. You know, he was given all of the clout that the studios had to make these films. So with that, he went off the rails massively, making terrible films <laughs> like Lady in the Water, The Happening, mm. After mm. Earth, and The Ultimate Sin, which I know offends you and offends me more than anyone. He destroyed The Last Airbender. What Such a shame. It was just catastrophic. Absolutely and, catastrophic. I mean, how? How do you ruin that so badly? The Last Airbender is absolute gold. You've got absolute gold in front of you. Yeah. And he's turned it back into coal. He's had a he's had a disaster with it. And and to be honest with you, I thought there was no no way back for him at all. However, he actually started doubting himself, apparently. He wasn't getting any offers from studios. He couldn't get any financing for anything that he had. He had some scripts that he had put together and he couldn't get any financing. So he went out and self-financed a film called The Visit, which is a horror film. Um, it cost around $5 million. Uh, just out of interest, have you seen it? I haven't seen The Visit, no. It's honestly one of the scariest films I've seen over the last few years. It's excellent. It's self-financed. It's, it's, it's a low production value. If any listeners out there, if you haven't seen it, go watch The Visit. It's unnerving, terrifying sort of found footage style horror film about some grandkids who go and visit their grandparents. And it's so scary. I think it's really well done. Um, but that completely put him back in the frame. He, he took it around to a lot of studios, though. And even though it was already made, he had made it, edited it, everything. All he wanted help with was distribution. No one would take it. Eventually, after about a year or two, someone did eventually help him distribute it. And it made $100 million and received critical acclaim. And that's from a $5 million budget. Right, it made one hundred million dollars. Sounds like you're making it up. No, but fine. no, no, it's, no, no, it's true. Then okay. he self-financed Split for nine million, which, as we'll come on to, we found out was a backdoor sequel to Unbreakable, which then grossed mm. two hundred and eighty million dollars worldwide as of now. And he had to self-finance Glass for twenty million which now, uh, as of the 4th of February, has grossed $200 million already only for a couple of weeks of release, which I think is a pretty incredible achievement. Um, so I think we'll start off with the trilogy that we're talking about. What are your thoughts about Unbreakable, you know, the first in the trilogy? So I actually only watched Unbreakable for the first time about probably about a year ago. That's ridiculous. I was, That's I was, absolutely I was really late ridiculous. to Unbreakable. And by that point... Well, by this point, you know it's it's gained a bit of a bit of a, a reputation. But I, I was going to say cult following. It's got hundred percent more than that. Hundred percent more than that, though. I reckon it's it's bigger than cult. And um, so I was I was excited to watch it. Um, and I was surprised. I was surprised at like how dated it felt. And I know it's I know it's like from two thousand, so it is yeah technically quite dated, but. Man, that feels like when you watch it, it's like Jesus. This does feel like another era. Because if you think about when Unbreakable came out, I remember it very distinctly because it was the follow-up film for Shyamalan after The Sixth Sense, and The Sixth Sense obviously yeah. was this thriller, 
um, mm. an excellent thriller, which, you know, sort of started this whole twist phenomenon at the end of a film, you know, something that really you didn't see coming and then took, you know, took your breath away. And people built this film up as another thriller. It was built up yeah. that way. And then what you didn't realize is it's a superhero film, you know, and it took, you know, two, two halves, two thirds of the film until you realize, wow, this is actually a superhero film. And the thing about it that was so special is this is before, you know, superhero films to an extent have what they are now. We, we are inundated with superhero films. There's one like every month. We're so bored of them. But this was before a lot of that. This is like pre MCU, you know, so this is this is, you know, quite forward thinking in a way. Um, yeah. at the time no. in 2000 so it had a you know I think it was very revolutionary at the time well it's I mean it's it's a lot it's almost like a lot purer um, in its vision at the time because it isn't it isn't influenced by any of the the recent phenomena in, in terms of comic book movies it's no. it's really inspired by comic books themselves rather than comic book movies yeah um, so I mean look it I, I enjoyed it definitely, and it was it was a good movie for me. Like I was, I probably came too late to it. I probably needed to see it at the time to fully appreciate yeah. it because yeah. it it did feel dated when I watched it. Um, but no, it was a good good film, good film, and I I think given what's happened with Shyamalan's career, kind of since then and the downward trajectory, mm. um, it was it was probably good for him to come back to something that was um that was a success yeah i think unbreakable is his best film in my opinion i think it's the film really yeah i definitely think sixth sense i think i think the sixth sense is just a bit overhyped i think it's all about the ending of that film i think unbreakable is a better film in the long run i think it's just a better film it's my personal favorite mainly because it, mm. it plays into things that i like about like superhero culture and mythos and, and and all of that and i just find that far more interesting than the underlying story of the sixth sense but you know i love signs as well i think those first three films that he released are are really really good films and they were at the time very revolutionary but you know he's as i said he self finance split which was on his comeback trail after the visit. Uh, you only watched Split recently in, you know, preparation for this podcast. What are your thoughts right, on it? Yeah. I really liked it. I really liked Split. I thought that was a, um, thought that was a, a cracking film. I don't, um, it didn't feel very Shyamalan-y. Mm. It was, um, it was a lot more in, sort of intense, I think, than, um, a lot of Shyamalan's films, which are kind of more dra- kind of, they have like drama beats. This was like a kind of more intense, um, like thriller horror thing going on. Um, James McAvoy, just unbelievable, really. When you think about what he's being asked to do there, mm. um, that's that's phenomenal. I mean, the final final twenty minutes, half an hour of it, uh, they they just go up a notch. My my only issue with it is that it's been kind of jammed together with Unbreakable because I don't really see the link between what's going on there. Mm. And, well, you know, I'll come to this in when we talk about Glass, but as a standalone film, Split, great. As a semi-sequel to Unbreakable, I'm not really sure. And the ending of Split, um, that was like laugh out loud bad in my opinion do you you know how interesting that is as a comment of someone who obviously didn't watch unbreakable at the time unbreakable Mm. 
was begging for a sequel for years and the fandom was begging for a sequel for Unbreakable for a very long time. The overall reaction to the fact that Split is actually a backdoor sequel to Unbreakable and that final reveal is one of the best fan reactions you're going to see in a cinema or a film Mm. because when that actually happened and it revealed how he done so it's funny that you think it's laughable whereas the general reaction to it is it's an incredible turn of events and it actually went down extremely well with the fandom because can well let's that's fine that's absolutely fine and you know they're excited because they get the sequel that they've always wanted um and you know Fair play to him. Well done. Go and celebrate that. But you've got to say the the, the line is absolute nonsense. When that it, it's on the news that some guy has um, gone mental, locked up three girls, eaten two of them, killed an, yeah. an old lady, yeah. and then one of them's escaped. As you do, yeah, right, yeah. Then a lady in the pub goes, "This is just like that time yeah, yeah, yeah. twenty years ago when yeah, yeah, somebody." Yeah, yeah. Made a train crash. It is funny though. No, it's not. It is no. Nothing similar. I know what you mean. It's just standard. (laughs) Not even close. Standard superhero trollop tripe lines, and I understand that. And it's kind of funny, but I think the whole thing about that is just forget the dialogue. Just the pan across to you know Bruce Willis reprising his role as Harry Dunn, and you're just like, (laughs) oh, holy shit, that is mental. How? And the amazing thing about Split is the marketing was so clever. That it never get mm. the problem with films these days and trailers and everything. It's always given away, you know, the the major story beats. The fact that he was able to keep it under wraps that it's a sequel to Unbreakable is, a, I yeah. think, a phenomenal achievement in today's cinema world and the world that we live in. So, I have utmost respect for him for that. That's that's fair enough. And you know, at at the time, if if you watch that and you're a big Unbreakable fan and you didn't know it was coming, yeah. then you'd probably be willing to let the most nonsense bit of dialogue go. Yes. That's fine. Yeah. But as it is, I, I knew that it was a a sequel. Yeah, in, you already knew. You Because you already knew because you knew that Glass was, you know, pitting these characters against each other kind of thing. So, um, yeah. yeah. So it was a little bit and spoiled so then, for you, that moment, in a way. Probably. And, I mean, and it was also spoiled by the terrible acting and terrible dialogue <laughs> that came with well, it. I've got um, some... Then, let's have some fun with the dialogue in Glass a bit later, because I think that is going to be interesting. Now let's talk about Glass, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the some would say the, the true sequel to Unbreakable, the, you know, finalisation of this trilogy, one that we didn't even know we wanted and one that we didn't even know we were getting, but now we have it. I want to know what your take is on Glass. Having seen Unbreakable and Split, do you think it's, a, a you know, a good ending for this trilogy or do you think it's a complete misstep and they missed an opportunity here should we give it a blueberry is that yeah I mean, so for anyone listening to, for the really, first time we we blueberry everything that's our rating system uh for anyone listening to us constantly i'm sorry that we have to keep saying this but we do new year same rules so the way it works is we blueberry everything from zero to five five being the best zero being the worst there can be no halves it's a very harsh but fair scale gareth blueberry glass for me now i'm gonna tell you off the bat that i'm giving it two blueberries oh he's gone off and the bat straight away with the blueberries yeah i'm giving you my two blueberries and then i'll, I'll justify it but i'm starting to feel like I'm, I'm getting a little bit worried. I feel like I'm becoming John, the new John in terms of yeah. my. When was the last time you gave things? anything 
other than a two. I just feel like that well, is all you give everything at the moment. Hold on. I did give um, Into the Spider-Verse a five. So Well, that's true. Uh, I watched that with you. That was a very good film. So continue. I had, I had a bit of internal reflection after watching mm. this. And I, and I thought, am I just becoming miserable with film and TV? Very possible. And then I remembered Into the Spider-Verse and was like, no, thank goodness. Good Goodness does exist mm. in the world. This was a bit rubbish. And honestly, that I think is the best way of describing it. Mm. It's just a bit rubbish. Like, mm. I I can't say it's absolutely terrible. and But then it's by no means good. And I think that comes down to a few things. Um, first of all, some of the sequencing of, of scenes I is just baffling like some of it's so clumsy you've just got kind of these mad fight scenes and but then there's just kind of people standing around and it's almost like he's he's forgotten who is standing where who's actually at the scene exactly it's 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 like that it does make me laugh and people are sort of people are walking around having conversations that are so out of place when there's this fight to the death taking place mm. but anyway well we'll come we'll come on to the conversations in a bit because they are a major flaw in i think the film but let's go continue i can't wait um there is i think the the main message of the film is um again just a bit rubbish like it's it's just mm. i'm going to disagree with you on that i'm going to disagree with you on the main message but well, yeah. Well, hold on. Let's first of all let's see what you think the main message of the film so, is, because I yeah. think it's it's one thing, but you could easily read it in a different way. I think the underlying message is is good because I think it's the idea that you shouldn't just accept uh, that you are status quo or the status quo, no matter who tells you that you are, and you you should always search for meaning in your life, and you should always you know strive for something better and rise above this mediocrity that is pushed against everyone on a daily basis by consumerism, by everything that's in our lives. That's what I think the underlying message of the film is. And I think it gets that across very well. I think the execution of the idea at the end of the film is bad. I I think that's a budget constraint. You know, I said $20 million is the budget for this film. They just couldn't do the things that they want to do. And we'll come on to those when we go through the plot. But for me, that was what I interpreted the message of the film as. Yeah, I I mean... It is, it's all about, um, I agree to a certain extent, it's about like it, having self-belief or um, just believing that you are what you've always thought you are um, versus looking inside yourself or, or being questioned by other people and allowing that to influence. Yeah, don't, be, don't let other people... Are tell you that you can't be something that you aren't something that you know that is for me is a strong message and i think it's a message that that resonates well with audiences yeah and that's 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 fine but it does make me the problem that i have is there's no reason there is no reason for these people for bruce willis yeah. james mcavoy yeah. to question their ability no that is very true they have they like she's like you're not actually that's strong, you know. You're just like a regular, pretty strong, regular old, yeah, regular legs, yeah. strong person. Yeah, yeah. And Bruce Willis could just break the chains and go. Oh, Very yeah? good point. You reckon that that? So we'll, why doesn't he just do we'll that? We'll get onto that. We'll get onto that. Let's get into the intricacies of it. But you are right. I, I mean, I'll go with my blueberry. I think off the bat, I'm going to give it a three. I'm going to give it a three blueberry. I love Unbreakable. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think, as I said, it's my favourite Shyamalan film. Everyone wanted a sequel. I wanted one. I'm just slightly disappointed in this. I think mm. there are parts that are really enjoyed. I said I like the message of the film, which I think is great. I just think it handled some some really, you know, disturbing things incorrectly. I mean, how... I mean, the script, for one, I think, is so clunky at times. And yep. literally signed... I mean, when Unbreakable came out, superhero films weren't as in the you know public eye as much as they are now. So maybe you needed all of the exposition and the descriptions of, you know, what a comic book story is and all of that stuff and what it means to be a superhero. Now, kids and all of us have just grown up with it for the last 20 years since the release of Unbreakable, 19 years. So we don't need that constant, you know, we're not idiots. We understand what's going Mm. on here. And I also don't like how certain characters, like even Mr. Glass to an extent, but mainly how James McAvoy's character comes out of this as some sort of hero. Because people literally forget he's eating teenage girls alive. (laughs) Now, that is mental. That is absolutely mental. And he's got DID, you know, dissociative identity disorder. And I don't like the way that Shyamalan uses that disease uh, or mental illness in this film. I think he has a serious issue with other films of his, you know, sort of just glazing over mental illness. And... That, for me, is an issue. I think the stuff focusing on Mr. Glass is great, and I think the film succeeds most when it's trying to be a true sequel to Unbreakable. Harry Dunn isn't given enough focus for me, no. and I enjoyed seeing... Background, no, background characters. Yeah, and I enjoyed seeing him back in the role, but I'm slightly disappointed he didn't use his powers for bigger things, you know, because that was always the thing after Unbreakable. It was like, oh, what's he going to be? You know, he's gonna, he can do awesome things, and he just never gets around to doing it now, and you, you feel like he's really wasted his talent. And the way he dies... I mean, spoiler warning. It's so disappointing. I'm. I, it literally drove me insane. Um, it, <laughs> I mean, Puddlegate will it, forever you, be known as say, the worst thing of all time. What is? What are they thinking? Is it being recognised as a puddle? Because it's a fucking that's exactly puddle. What it is. It is a puddle. <laughs> and I'm sorry. If, you know, if you're listening and you haven't seen the film, I did say the spoilers. Yeah, he dies. They all fucking die. But puddle death. <laughs> they all kind of get a good death, apart from the one that you want to get the best death. You know, the hero. <laughs> So I'm no, going to give it glorious. Yeah, I'm going to give it three blueberries. I think, you know, there's I did enjoy the film. I really did, but there's just so many things. I think I'm, you know, enjoying it from a fan perspective and not, you know, from my critical head is saying my fan critical head is saying there's just so many errors with this film that you can't give it any more than the 3 and the fact that I'm a fan is probably giving it that 3. Okay? I think it is. I think it is. You've cuz if you if you listen back to to what you've just said there isn't that much that you've said. Right? <laughs> so, um, I did enjoy it. It's a funny. It's such a weird film for me um, for so many yeah. emotional reasons. But let's jump into the plot before we do a quick advert. <laughs> Good for you. Hello there. Yes, an advert. I am back from Rwanda, and back with me are the adverts. Lucy obviously forgot to do them. Silly Lucy, very silly. But we have a lot of really good stuff coming up. We have our Oscars podcast, which will be out sometime next week, where we're going to highlight what we think is going to win in each category and go through the nominations for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress. You know the score. We've also got The Return of the Walking Dead. That podcast will be out next Monday for the back half of Season 9. Not only that, our Castle Rock critical coverage and our Stephen King retrospectives are continuing with The Shining, which we are recording this week. We wanted to jump back in with a very much-loved Stephen King IP and that is going to be brilliant. Not only that, 
We have our Game of Thrones coverage, which will be starting in the next month or so as we build up to the elusive and final season eight. Not only that as well, we have our Watchmen podcast, which will be beginning in the next two months or so. So we have a lot of content here plus Captain Marvel, plus all these other films that are coming out. So please do subscribe to Fan Critical. Please do subscribe to Castle Rock Critical for all our Stephen King and Castle Rock coverage. And, you know, follow us on Twitter at Fan Critical Pod, Instagram at Fan underscore Critical, and on Facebook as Fan underscore Critical. And please do get in touch with us. We've been away for a little while, you know, we're slowly getting back into the rhythm of releasing, you know, a podcast every week or maybe more than that. And it'd be great to hear from you guys about what we could be doing or your thoughts on the things that we're covering. Just email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. That is fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks very much, guys. Let's get into the plot of Glass. Are you ready? As is tradition, I have scoured the internet for the plot or just gone on Wikipedia and copy and pasted it into my notes. Either one, here it is. Feel free to jump in, Gaz, whenever you like. Okay. Let's get started. Three weeks after Kevin Wendell Crump, it's very important, you remember his name, earns the nickname mm-hmm. The Horde, vigilante David Dunn and his now grown son Joseph, who have been working together to take down criminals, set out to save four cheerleaders Crumb has abducted. Let's stop there. Now, (laughs) just want to say, it's quite cool that they got the same kid from Unbreakable, Spencer Street Clark. He is the kid in Unbreakable. And I have to say, love that. Absolutely love that they've reprised these sort of supporting characters. He's a major character in Unbreakable, obviously, and that relationship between father and son is so important. And I love the way that it's continued here with uh, Joseph sort of being like the Oracle character from Batman. I love that. Yeah, no, he's cool. He's good. Um, it's, a, it's a nice touch um, to have him to have him back. And mm. um, and he does well. Lovely touch. Um, anything you'd like to add about the abduction of more cheerleaders? Yeah. I mean, you've got to say, mm. having four cheerleaders tied up yeah. in their cheerleader costumes. Yeah. Uh, it feels a bit dated, doesn't it? It like does. It's a bit it, yeah. out of step with but that's the kind times. Of, yeah, that's kind of like, you know, B-movie horror stuff, which is fine. You know, Cabin in the Woods kind of, uh, you know, very obvious, but obvious for a reason. So I'll let it slide. David comes across Kevin in his Hedwig. You know, Hedwig is the young sort of 11-year-old, I think it is, persona, or 8-year-old. I he's can't nine. Nine, he's, sorry. He's nine. Got the numbers but, wrong both times. I mean, he has... So he's, he's still nine years old, mm. but... He's um he's stepped up a little bit in oh, terms of up. his kind of gangster chewed as I yeah, think his gear you know, his his music he's, you know he's moved on to Drake now that was what he said you know so he he was a big Kanye fan I think it was in Split and now he's yeah. moved on to Drake so he's ever changing he's evolving um, but David comes across Hedwig um, and discerns the cheerleader's location using his extrasensory perception so it's important to note here that obviously in Unbreakable. David uh, not only is super strong, but if he touches people, he can sort of glimpse into what they've been up to, what they've been doing. And that is how he finds the criminals most of the time. After freeing the cheerleaders, David confronts Kevin's superhuman persona, the Beast. So this is quite cool. You get this sort of titanic battle, you know, 20 minutes into the film. And I was really into that. What did you what did you think about getting that battle so early on? Yeah, no, it was cool. Um, he threw a table. That was good. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I'm out a window as well. That was pretty cool. I liked that a lot. I liked that. I, I liked that they went crashing through the window. Um, and I thought, well, this is this is exciting. We're going to get a good old fashioned. Oh yeah, superhero you know, showdown. Superhero showdown. But bloody idiots came and interrupted it. Mm, should have known something was suspicious by the fact that they found him there so easily. So just keep that in mind. Evil organization. So uh, only as they go out the window, both of them are arrested when the ensuing fight spills out onto the streets. David and Kevin are sent to a mental institution where Elijah Price, also known as Mr. Glass, David's sworn enemy, uh, is being held. Dr. Ellie Staple, played by uh, what's her name? Paula. Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson, the head doctor of the mental institution works with patients who claim they have special powers. So this is quite cool. This is quite cool in a way. I mean, yeah. Can I say, though, Sarah Paulson mm. is rubbish in this movie. Do like, you, I've, I've really seen her in so? other things. She, I've seen her in other things, and she's she's not bad. Mm. I can't I mean, I can't think of She what, was in Bird Box, remember? She was in Bird Box as um, Sarah Bullock's sister, which is such a... Sandra Bullock's yes. sister, which is yes. so bizarre, because <laughs> it's such, Bullock. Sarah Bullock. Because it's such a small <laughs> role for her. And But, you know, the funny thing about... Um, Sarah Paulson is she's in everything she's literally in everything I see her all the time like it's, it's, yeah, it's she's mad she has done a lot and she kind of plays the same character in a lot of things that she does like American Horror Story and you know American Crime Story obviously they're related because they're made by the same people but she's in a lot of stuff I'm just saying I see it all the time it's weird she's the sort of person that if you go to like a Wikipedia page mm. she'll have like a separate Wikipedia page that yeah. you have to click to to get to her filmography yeah, yeah. because She's got too much stuff. Too much, too much going on. This next part of the plot I find baffling. And this is when you should start getting alarm bells. Uh, so she's called Dr. Ellie Staple. So Paulson Coda. Staple reveals that she's been given three days to persuade David, Kevin and Elijah that they are normal people who simply believe <laughs> they have superpowers. Right, okay. Yeah. So why has she only got three days? First of all, we should be questioning yeah. that mental. What sort of psychiatrist goes, I've only got three days? Like, that is just awful care. That's all I'm saying. And plus, Elijah's been there for, like, 19 years. So what's going on? Who is it that's giving her those orders? Like, well, that's going, it, Gary. Right. Who is it? You got you got three days. Well, I mean, I know, but yeah. at the time, it's At just the time, like, you're like, what is this? Absolute garbage. And why haven't the cheerleaders at this point gone, oh, yeah, that guy saved us, by the way. He, he saved us from well. being eaten by... That man. Well, evil you know, organization. That's, that's... Remember, evil in retrospect, yes, evil but... organization. Staple also knows that David's alleged weakness is water and has a machine that forces the horde, you know, McAvoy's character, to switch identities, effectively disarming the beast. So um it's quite cool that they've, you know, all got their little weaknesses. You know, obviously Mr. Glass's bones are extremely brittle, and now they've got, you know, the water for David and the machine that makes the, the horde switch identities, which is quite actually well done in this film in a way. I mean, I don't like the way that the orderly guard is the one to switch the machine. I find that very bizarre um, that he's got the balls to do that. But I did like the acting from McAvoy and the way he was able to switch through these new identities, ones that we actually haven't seen before in Split. So that was quite good. That was that was good. Um, my only uh, My only issue there is... A lot of those characters, it would have been quite cool to mm. seen them. Mm. It's hard through, though. Like, let them finish a sentence. Mm. Um, it's so hard when there's like twenty four of them. You know what I mean? There's twenty four personalities in there. 
the yeah. film isn't really about McAvoy. It's kind of about Mr. Glass in a way. And I think that's where some of the film in a, gets confused in a movie as well. called Glass. Well, you know, for the, I'm just saying, for the first 40 minutes of the film, he's pretty much catatonic. So you yeah. make of that what you will. Um, Joseph, and just to reference again, Joseph is David Dunn's son. Mrs. Price uh, and Casey Cook... So Mrs. Price is... Pointless. Um, is a, Why is she there? Well, let's get into it. Mrs. Price <sighs> is, uh, you know, Mr. Glass's uh, mother. And Casey Cook, Anna Taylor, played by Anna Taylor-Joy, reprising her role from Split. Um, they they are like the consultants. They are the, you know, the, the, the links to these, to these characters. And, and they are going to <laughs> plead with Dr. Ellie Staple that, you know, superhero, superhumans do, do exist. And do you know the way they do that, yeah. Gareth? They go to a trained psychiatrist with comic books yeah. going, look at this, look at this story here. <laughs> this one, uh, y- y- you believe me now? Obviously not. Yeah. What are they thinking? What are they thinking? No, because because Stan Lee wrote about this this yeah. guy here with like, um, he can he can live underwater yeah. and above water if he wants. Did you um, know the first Superman didn't actually fly? Okay, that's really interesting. But then he's literally <laughs> moving stars around in space. So, come yeah. on. I would have locked them up, to be honest with you, because they sound more mental than the ones actually claiming <laughs> to be it. Staple puts the three superhumans in one room for an evaluation. Um, and I yeah. actually really like this scene, in a way. I mean, <laughs> I, well, I like, I like seeing them... All three of them together. It's quite funny. <laughs> of course, Mr. Glass doesn't really say anything. The more I talk about oh it, maybe gosh. I don't like it as much as I think I do. Um, and <laughs> and I like this quote in Wikipedia. Poisons David yeah. and the Horde with doubts about their abilities. Poison's a bit of a strong word. Um, yeah. Claiming that David has the same ability as trained magicians and trying to persuade <laughs> Dennis and Patricia, who are two of Kevin's personas, that the Beast has just been copying rock climbers and was shot uh, by defective shotgun cartridges in Split. Now, mm. you can say your piece here about why you don't like this sort of subterfuge by... Uh, Ellie Staple. There's a couple of issues here. Mm. Um, from from a like a medical perspective. Yes. Why on earth? Is and she you in just want to clarify for the listeners: you are a trained doctor, physician, man. Yes. Doctor of psychiatry. Yes. So as a trained psychiatry uh-huh. man. Yes. Psychiatry. Psychiatry man. Um, you could be a superhero, I, you know, psychiatry man. Yeah, that's what they call me. Psychiatry yeah. man. Can't even um, say your own name. Go on. Uh, let the fans say it it's fine um there is absolutely no benefit to having the three it's so contrived having the three of them in the one room Mm. at the same time Mm. that is absolute nonsense like she's just sitting there going and you and then like she like rotates on her little chair and you well you're quite strong yeah but are you actually any stronger than a regular strong guy and how about you you think that well did you know that those bullets were um faulty and that the um the the bars were made in 1892 yeah and you well you're you're an absolute mess at the moment to be honest mate and i'm not going to get anything you haven't said anything for 19 years (laughs) what is wrong with you man sits there dribbling yeah right why are they in the same room it's nonsense. Okay, I do it's, agree. It it's, is funny. It's funny when you say it. But the the shot, the, right. original, the original shot when you see them all three together, you know, fanfare. Oh, it's lovely. Fanfare, With isn't it? pink, 
it's got like this nice sort of muted pink background and yeah. um they're wearing like bright colors it's it's beautifully done uh, there was it's a lot of talk nonsense. about online how those colors denote um different interpretations of superheroes and sort of mythos around you know superhuman type characters and green which was david's is like family and love or something like that and yellow is like evangelical sort of like because obviously the beast believes he's like cleansing and is sort of biblical force and and purple is to denote regal or intelligence or something like that which is sort of elijah's so it's there's something there's something in there which is quite nice but the evaluation Mm. attracts elijah to the beast leading him to finally make his move after 19 years elijah breaks into the horde (laughs) cell to prepare them for the beast's awakening but is captured um, and has laser surgery performed on his brain so when this happened gareth obviously we know that mr glass is smarter than this don't you well yes um and I mean his reaction uh, again, just some hammy hammy dialogue. Like mm. he's going, he's like, what, uh, what? Wait, no, no why? What's no. happening? Oh my goodness! No, please! <laughs> and, right, ridiculous. And then Sarah Paulson's like, don't worry, it's okay. We saw that you were driving around in your little w- wheelchair, and so. <laughs> Um, we saw it on the cameras, so yeah. we're just going to have to move the procedure up by one yeah. day. <laughs> right, okay, you don't need to explain all of that. Sometimes sometimes what you can do in a movie yeah. is presume that the audience can figure out the gaps, because yeah, they eat, in reality, yeah. she's not going to be saying that to him as he's being forced onto the operating the, table. There's a part of me that just wishes that M. Night had someone there to always keep him in check slightly like just because his ideas are kind of good like i think the ideas here are good i just think some of the execution isn't great and the dialogue isn't great if he had someone checking over the script and saying okay what if you were to do this instead or or you know just leave it up to a bit of imagination a bit i mean that's what i was talking about with this dialogue that's constantly telling us something but uh it's revealed that Elijah had anticipated this and had previously sabotaged the surgical laser, causing it to have no effect on him at all. Now, I'm no laser scientist, Gareth. (laughs) I'm not... Don't undersell yourself. Well, not claiming to be a laser scientist, but I have a theory. Why does the laser do nothing without the focusing element? I mean, surely it would still, like, do something. I can't believe that... I saw a physical laser going down onto his forehead. What is going on? Um, Yeah, but hold on. Is it, though, or is it just like a... Is it a light? You know, like those oh, little just, red laser lights. As I said, that's probably all it's. Called. As I said, I'm not a laser doctor. Maybe psychiatry <laughs> man will be able to shed more light on this, and you have. So thank you very much, oh. psychiatry man. He escapes. Elijah <laughs> escapes captivity by killing an orderly, which I thought was actually an excellent shot. Now, I think yeah, M. Night not Daryl. <laughs> Daryl, absolute dingus daryl i have to say yeah. that m night Shyamalan really does um exceed in the editing department in in some cases because what he allows to happen is he lets shots linger for an extremely long time and i think he he does it in a lot of his films like there's a there's always this temptation you know to cut away to a different angle or you know to show something else in the scene and he does let scenes linger i mean sometimes i think his action work is is quite shoddy but i think 
overall letting these scenes linger and having these long drawn out shots leads to some really interesting interactions like the slitting of the throat here of Daryl is excellently done it's all done from that one angle behind Daryl so you don't really get to see it and you see the change in in Mr Glass and I, I love that there's also a scene later on when they're wheeling down the hallway and then the beast has you know some great action scene in the background and I do like the way that he plays with foreground and background and I do think that his editing skills when it comes to sort of one-on-one -on -one scenes and lengthy long drawn-out shots is, is really good and I do like elements of that in this film sure you know he's got the technical skills that is you know without a shadow of a doubt Elijah convinces the Beast to battle David during the public unveiling of the city's new highest tower to revive the Horde's faith and reveal the existence of superhumans to the world before turning his attention to David and forcing him to accept the truth of his superhuman abilities to escape, lest Elijah destroy the tower in place of the showdown. Okay, quite a cool concept you know, this showdown, a tower, it's very sort of, you know, limited edition showdown as we get told over and over again. I knew we were never going to see this happen. How did you know that? Because I knew the film cost $20 million. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way they're doing it with the budget they have, man. It's just, it, you know, when you do, look... when Do you, you think... Go on. Actually, serious question then. Yeah, yeah. If he had the budget, would we have seen? Oh, it? I think I think we would have seen something like it. Yeah, I think they're so hamstrung here. Like, there's obviously a reason why the majority of this film happens in one location, one mm. location that is fully under their control. It's a building and an outdoor area, and, and and it's so much cheaper than what they're having to do. And this idea of building this fictional tower in Philadelphia. Also, the whole world are we watching? Who the fuck is watching Philadelphia? No offence to anyone in Philadelphia. Like, it just wouldn't happen. People in Philadelphia, maybe. Yeah, but the whole That's world, you know, I'm just saying. Probably the limit. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm just <laughs> saying. I'm just saying. What are they thinking? What are they thinking with that? David, Kevin. City and brotherly love, innit? Well, Everybody's tuning in. That's it. We're all... That's it. David, Kevin and Elijah are all able to escape from the hospital. David and the Beast face off again outside of the hospital and are evenly matched until Staple intervenes. Staple orders four armed men, just four, to subdue each of the superhumans, <laughs> but David and the Beast fend them off. A couple of things here. Let's talk about their escape from the actual institution. Mr. Glass is mm. going around doing his business and you kind of get a nice reveal at the end of the film, which I quite like. So let's leave that for the moment. However, for the world's smartest man, or what we're led to believe mm. is one of the world's smartest men, his method of escaping, which is essentially putting a towel over James McAvoy's head and going <laughs> on a wheelchair down to the basement, is absolutely ludicrous. Mm. Why are the security guards not doing anything about that? Letting them out. This is, uh, again, mental. Like, <laughs> well, it seems to me like in where this... they are, but yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Psychiatry um, it seems to me strikes again. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I can use the term. I'm allowed. Um it seems to me that in the little section that they're locked up in, yeah. there are three it looks like there are three patients. Yeah. <laughs> if you You would know the struggle, patients. You would know <laughs> if you struggle to recognise one of the three patients in the ward that you yeah. that you look after, yeah. you're in trouble. Mm. Uh, I it makes 
it's absolute nonsense. Let's yeah. let's be honest. I I, I think yeah. it's a bit nonsense. However, it is quite funny, and it does lead to that cool shot that I alluded to earlier, where he goes, "Just keep rolling," and then he turns into the beast and absolutely floors those guys. That's pretty cool. I did enjoy that shot. So if it's just worth it for that shot, that's fine. I do like the way that David escapes. I really enjoy that. Like the fact that he was able to break down that metal door. And he had to sort of dig deep because he did start doubting himself about his abilities. And, you know, he had to dig deep because he needs to save people. I like that. And, you know, I like the way he breaks out. It's quite cool. Yeah. Now, the battle outside. Let's discuss it. I don't know if I like it. And I don't, I still can't come down on whether I enjoy it or not. I do like seeing Elijah and, you know, David have this face off. And I think there were some really cool moments in there. But the culmination of it is clunky as hell. And this bit, though, I do really enjoy. Okay, so this is one of my favourite reveals of the film. Elijah tells the Beast that water is David's weakness. Because, you know, we know that from Unbreakable. We know that from this film. But Joseph, David's son, intervenes and reveals to the Beast that Elijah orchestrated the train crash that killed Kevin's father. The same train crash that Elijah caused to find David. So that is amazing because after Kevin's father died, his abusive mother began torturing him, thus leading to the creation of Kevin's multiple personalities and the beast itself. Lovely tie-in. Absolutely love that tie-in for several reasons. And we'll come on to it, you know, a bit later, but I love the footage from the original Unbreakable I love the fact that they put that in there. I love the fact that, that these all these characters are interconnected. I love the way that it's, you know, the rope dope you know, the switcheroo where the villain is, the master orchestrator is sort of slightly undone. He even says, like, he's not meant to know about that yet. He's not meant to know about that yet. I just love the way it all ties these characters together and, and actually has a narrative through line for the trilogy. And apparently it's not really an afterthought because apparently Shyamalan had this script after Unbreakable. So it's interesting that that's been in his mind all this time. He just wasn't able to get it made, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Well, I credit where it's due. It's a, it, that's, that is a good reveal. That's a good time. Mm. It's a lot better than, oh, yeah, this guy that killed three people yeah. and, um, uh, and ate some of them. That's just like that guy who made a train crash happen. Like, that's rubbish. This is, this is good. This is sensible. This, this, is a genuine like oh you know what I mean yeah. did you do that I I was very happy with this reveal and when I think about it there are there's hints to it in Split and there are you know about Kevin's father because it's talked about and he said I think they mentioned that he died in a train crash but it sort of just goes under the radar because you no know, I don't think they do um that because the whole thing is. Um, that he believes his dad just left. Oh, that's right. It's, it, it, but there is a hint so, in it somewhere. I think it was. They talk about yeah. a train. They, they talk they about talk he got on a train. train. Yeah, yes. And he got on a train. The beast, the beast lives in a train yard. Yeah, because that's because his dad left on a and, train. And when you think about it, and you even look back to Split and where you know the first transformation of the beast happens, and it's in this sort of really cool shot in this silhouetted sort of broken down train that Mm. should be you know a call to us to realize it's actually very good symbolism and 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 sort of synergy of what of of the story here and it's quite nice that we finally now we can look back at that and go that's just clever that's a very good way of doing it subtly Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Big fan of it. And I think that's, this is when the film is maybe its strongest point when that sort of reveal happens, but it starts to fall down a little bit. I think the ideas later on are, are pretty good. Hmm. The beast thanks Elijah for creating him, but because his purpose is to protect Kevin, the beast mortally wounds Elijah and then throws David into the water tank. This is fucking cool. I like that water tank stuff. Love that. David survives, but is weakened by the water, which we know is his weakness, kryptonite. The Beast retreats and promises to finish him off at the tower. However, Casey, played by Anna Taylor-Joy, the one who survived in Split, confronts the Beast before he can escape and summons the real Kevin, by saying his name, to take control by, you know, speaking his name. Without the Beast's superhuman strength and durability to protect him, Kevin is fatally shot by one of Staples' men and dies in Casey's arms. I mean, is this... Is this why they've got her in the film? Yes. For that moment? Because... I think they try and allude to the fact that some of these, not offspring, because obviously Joseph is the offspring of David, but like some of the, you know, supporting characters from the other films might have some sort of powers themselves. Like you see Joseph looking at the Overseer uh, comic in the comic book store, for example. And, you know, he, like I said, he is kind of like the Oracle character from Batman, you know, always there telling Batman what to do and you know how many guards are there and, you know, helping him be the greatest detective that's ever lived. And you kind of get the feeling that Anna Taylor-Joy's character has some sort of empathic abilities and ability to, you know, subdue the beast is quite a strong power. So it is interesting. I, I think they're playing with that a little bit and I think that's why she's kind of in it. But I think each of these characters needs someone to continue on their story and I think that's why they're all in there. But, you know, as I said earlier, Kevin is fatally shot here and I understand that Kevin himself is actually a good person but this horde, you know, there's a lot of dickheads in there and they were literally eating people. And I don't like the way that they come across as heroic in the end. No, it's this is <laughs> that's a problem. Um, I don't think I don't think even Psychiatry Man is is suggesting that this is somebody who should be like cured and then let out into mm. the wild because yeah, good beast it's, wild it's, good exactly too dangerous like you can't you can't have somebody with the potential to do that wandering around so yes then being shot eating is, young uh, women ridiculous not allowed we don't let that happen no, these days no we don't so i'm not a fan of the way that they sort of you know idolize him towards the end but staples uh, men then overpower the weakened david and drown him and they've said in wikipedia a flooded pothole I'm going puddle. Um, it's absolutely <laughs> uh, ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. It's... It, and I'll continue. Staple lets David touch her as he dies, granting him a vision of her being part of a secret society, trying to keep the existence of superhumans a secret. Staple tells him that if she had convinced him that he was normal, she would have left him alone, but that the beast ruined that. As Elijah finally dies of his wounds, Stable reveals to him as well that a human Illuminati group have been masterminds of the obstruction of both heroes and villains alike for over 10,000 years. Now, let's talk a lot about this and talk about David's death and Elijah's death. Let's just break it all down. First of all, did you notice what the little symbol is that they had on their wrists? It's a clover. Yeah, how many leaves did it have? Mm, four. No, because obviously... Three. Yes. And why is that? Because... There's nothing special about a three-leaved clover. So, Got it. I mean, very obvious, but, you know, just thought I'd 
throw that one in there. Now, let's start with David's death. Um, death by puddle for someone who you've been wanting to see again for 19 years is not the way I wanted it to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. there's kind of that element of Game of Thrones and even The Walking Dead to an extent where these characters that you like sometimes don't get the ending that they des- deserve because that's life and sometimes, yeah, you know, you don't you, things are snatched from you. But it was just such a shame to see David go out this way, especially when he had such a sidelined role in this film, I felt. And it was great seeing Bruce mm. Willis back. I think all the actors did actually a really good job in this film, even considering some of the dialogue was so, you know, hammy. But um, it was just such a shame to see David die this way. I mean, you must agree that Puddlegate is arguably one of the worst major character deaths of all time in terms of just execution. Pardon the pun. <laughs> I can't think of an example, really, that that compares mm. it because it's i mean you i think there will be people who who make an argument for it being sort of fitting in with the theme because it's it's kind of it kind of shows you know you are just kind of regular yeah um even even with this ability yeah you can just die a regular i mean not that not that drowning in a puddle mm. is a regular death pretty but extraordinary isn't it you, you're still human you know um so i suppose there's an argument for that being deliberate it doesn't seem deliberate because they still make it very dramatic and slow motion and um yeah so it it, it feels like it feels like Shyamalan imagined this having like being a, a dramatic it just didn't stick the landing fitting end it didn't stick the landing at all especially when his his son is literally there going get off of him get off of him and then like after he's dead he's still just stood there it's just like you would be going mental at the gut and he's getting killed by a faceless goon mate a faceless goon it's not even like the beast i mean you know how cool it would have been if the beast killed him i'd have been like okay I get it. Or if a much more fitting end for him would have been to die in that tank. Honestly. Why why did he, what was the point in him getting out of the tank? Yeah, I think if he had died in the tank, the beast gets out, you know, and then you have Joseph run over and sort of like try and resuscitate his dad. That's kind of strong, right? And then you have the beast sort of getting shot again. That just feels to me like a superhero sort of ending for a character. Whereas this was just flat as anything, flat as a pancake. And I have to say, and it was a thing that almost knocked a full blueberry off for me because I love David Dunn's character and I love Unbreakable. And it was such a shame to see him go out this way. Having having the full cast standing around... Literally watching. It just It just felt so clumsy and absolute, absolutely destroyed any credibility that that scene had and yeah i mean why why isn't joseph like running over and pushing them or something he's trying but he he then just stands there honestly you would you would try and kill that guy you would steal the other guard's gun and shoot that guy in the head like you would yeah you know what i mean he's not why is there's no point in having casey give him a little hug like really there's no they've they've decided like sarah paulson's decided the light won't work out here. Well, why have you decided that? I mean, it- also, like, I don't want to be a sort of stickler for, you know, evil organisations or the Illuminati. But if I was running a secret organisation that was quite evil and, you know, killed superhero characters, I would also kill their families. I know that sounds very morbid. I'm sorry. But how is well, she? No. how is she letting them get away with this after what they've seen? 
How is well, she? Because then she goes to a she goes to a little club meeting. Yeah, and she's like, "Yeah, nobody saw." It's like, hold on, wait a there, minute. <laughs> there were there were definitely three people, three, three other people there. You spoke to them, all of them. Unbelievable. And, and she, <laughs> when she, I mean, when um, when David Dunn's drowning, yeah. Why? <laughs> hold my hand. Why? She why? wants him to see that because she knows but, that's his one of his powers. She wants him to see what's going on. And then, um, when she says to Elijah's mum, "Oh, let me just check on him," <laughs> yeah, and she just goes like like off stage it's really weird like where does she go yeah, yeah. she just walks off like behind the little clumsy, van clumsy. and waits waits for her to have a private conversation with him and then as soon as she stands up to walk off she just walks back at no point does she go well, is he all right did you save him or <laughs> did you save like, him or... please you've got to do something um, she just walks off and then walks back yeah i mean it's, it's mad ridiculous. i mean it, you know let's discuss the idea of this illuminati group i actually like the idea I do like the idea. I like the idea that there's this human organization that is trying to stop superheroes. Um, And while Elijah, Kevin and David are dead, Staple deletes the security footage and reports her mission as a success. However, unbeknownst to Staple, the cameras around the mental institution had previously been hacked by Elijah and had been live streaming to a private network. So I quite like the way that you did see some of this hacking and stuff going on and you thought it was all to just do with his breakout, but it was actually to you know, reveal the footage. Shortly thereafter, Mrs. Price, Joseph and Casey all receive a copy of the footage and choose to release it to the public via the internet, bringing the existence of superhumans uh, to the awareness of the public to avenge the death of the three extraordinary people. Now, I've got a problem with the ending because we'll talk about it all now. If I were to see that footage, now this is this is going back to your point about two thousand and when Unbreakable came out. If this was a direct sequel and it was say two thousand and one, two thousand and two, and you saw that footage on the internet, you would be blown away. You would be yeah. you'd be like, Whoa, that is crazy. The problem with these days, you know, by the time I get to the evening in a working day, I've seen some absolutely crazy stuff on the internet. You know, <laughs> I am not yeah. going to buy David Dunn slowly bending a metal bar. Sorry, it's not. No. It's not. It's not going to really wow me. I'm not going to believe that superheroes exist. No, it's very slow, and it's I mean, very yes, slow. It is, it I would have switched off, but... mate. My attention span's like 20 <laughs> seconds. If you haven't got me in the first 20 seconds, I'm twitching off. No, you've got. There's too much to compete with. There's yeah. like. There's videos, videos of like lions, lions hugging yeah. people and Otters, stuff like Otters that. holding amazing. hands. That's really cute. Oh, man. I love those. Yep. God, get me a panda video any day. Jesus Christ, they they really get me. So or like even even just a picture of like a cat that somebody's had for sort of fifteen years hugging their brand new puppy. That's lovely. Like, isn't yeah, that basically lovely? animals. You that? Just, that's yeah, what I, I want to sidelined by animal videos all day long. But it just it's just. It, it just doesn't work in today's age. They just needed a new way of, you know, orchestrating it. Like it, it did need actually to be seen at that tower. Do you know what I mean? Like for it to be believable. Right. Now, here's what I thought was going to happen because we had all this build up to the tower thing. Um, also, hasn't has Elijah not set up the bomb and stuff? No, that, it's I all thought? garbage. It's all it's all garbage. It's all just, a, it's, yeah, it's a lie. So it is his master plan. And I do like the fact that he does have the final say and, and his master manipulator mind was still working and it fooled the Illuminati. Well, I do like that. I just 
that the execution here is just wrong. It just it doesn't have the impact necessary. Here's what I thought could have happened that Go on. maybe would have tied things in a little bit more. Should we and send these notes? Because we'll send these notes to Shyamalan because we've got some good ones here, I think. We've got some good ideas for how this could have been better. Send them to uh, M. Night. Shammy. What does M stand for? Um, Michael. I don't know. Is it? <laughs> send them to old Mikey boy. <laughs> send um, Mikey. Shammy. So, Shammy. <laughs> um, he, here's what he should have done. And it looked like it was going to happen as well. Yeah. They're doing this like this this sort of final scene and the music and the all the, <laughs> the slow motion bending of the bar and everything. <laughs> yeah, very, very. Um, yeah. yeah, it's powerful stuff. It's very, literally. Um, but then there's a shot of it. They sort of go up to the, the new building um, in Philadelphia and all the, like, the panels start flipping over. And I thought it's going to be projected to the world on the building that's what's happening yeah, they're cool. gonna these 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 panels are gonna turn into like a, a video it's gonna turn into a giant tv screen yeah the world is watching because that's what we do we've all been like who here hasn't sat around and gone hey everybody see the new building in american city a yeah last week like we all do that obviously so the world would have been watching and projected onto this giant new building is Bruce Willis bending what appears to be some sort of bar. And then everyone goes, oh, that's a sequel to Unbreakable. Lovely. Yes. Perfect. And then it's just like, you know, Inception. It just goes round and round. But I do think they just, the execution here was poor. Also, the final scene in the train station, there's like five people in that scene. There's like, it's it's meant to be like Grand Central State. What is going on? There is no one there. They posted it two Get hours ago and it took that long for it. That is not how, if it's viral, it goes, it goes instantly, you know. And it just, I just felt like people just watching this thing isn't enough. Maybe we should have seen some new superheroes at the end or something or some other people using their abilities. That would have maybe, you know, been better. But once again, budget constraints, $20 million, it ain't going to happen. Three people sitting on a bench while some people giggle at a video. That is what we got. <laughs> that's exactly what we got. That is exactly what um, you get for $20 million. Actually, it's, it's quite poor, ooh. isn't it? I'd want more for $20 million, to be honest. With you. But, it's uh, also funny that, um, like, yeah, it takes two hours for somebody to watch it. Yeah. But then as soon as that somebody watches it. Everyone watches it. Everyone watches it. That's how viral um, videos work. Mm. Yes. Anyway, mm. let's talk about some Easter eggs uh, before we before we depart from our glass review, which I think has been very critical, but I think has praised some of the things that they do well. And I, critical. And I, and I think you know, you know, we'll come on to some final thoughts, but let's go through some Easter eggs. So let's start with what we briefly touched on before, which was the deleted and bonus scenes from Unbreakable. Now this was very cool for me as someone who watched Unbreakable, had it on DVD, had the had some extra scenes in there that I'd seen on the sort of extended version. This is cool. So at one point in the film, Joseph, you know, tried to get his father released. Um, afterwards, there's a there's a flashback showing a younger Bruce Willis coming to talk to Joseph as a boy. Um, so, you know, usually what they would do is like de-age actors, CGI wise, this, you know, this is actually a deleted scene from Unbreakable that was never used. So that is quite cool. Shyamalan also used another fl- flashback of young Elijah 
injuring himself on a carnival ride so that's when it's a very disturbing scene and it's not actually in the film but it's a deleted scene from unbreakable and is in the collector's edition so it's quite Mm. cool that you you know that scene is in there as well and i and i like that because a lot of people won't have seen that scene unless they own the dvd it's also Mm. important to note that the train scene um where you see kevin's father you know, the Horde's father getting on the train pans down and tracks down to Bruce Willis is also a mixture of new footage and some old footage from Unbreakable and they merge it together. So that is also extremely cool. And I love that sort of tie in that yeah. whole train thing's probably my favorite moment of the film. Now, <laughs> do you remember? And this is this is silly. This is silly. Let's just say it's silly off the bat. Shyamalan loves to appear in his films. You know he loves to appear in his films, right? He's in every, he's in every single one, right? His character in this film is the same as the character in Split and the same as the character in Unbreakable. So he's just playing his, you know, he has a true arc across these three films, which, <laughs> which I think is absolutely ludicrous. Um, the fact yeah. that we had like a two minute or three minute scene in this film where he was in it, I was like, what is this scene? We do not need this scene at all. Um, it's just one of those things he has to put himself in his films. So it helps arrogant. tie... Yeah, it's a bit arrogant. It helps tie in Glass with both Unbreakable and Split. We see him t- talking to a security guard about um, a tenant who was murdered off-site. This means he's Jay. His cameo as a security guard in Dr. Fletcher's building in Split. But then Jay recognises David from his days working as a security guard at the stadium, confessing that he used to hang out with a dark crowd back then. That ties into Shyamalan in his cameo in Unbreakable as the guy who stopped David after David sensed he was dealing drugs in the stadium. So it's Mm. the same character. He's playing Jay in all three films. I think it's kind of cool, but at the same time, I, I just think you did not need three minutes of whatever this is in the the security store. Oh, God. We're not looking for resolution on that character. No. Well, he's, right? there's no know, need for he it. He had more of an arc than bloody David Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> David Dunn in this film didn't really get this oh, you know, the proper ending, God. did he? So all right. that's all I'll say on that. He should have drowned in a puddle. Yeah. Any final thoughts from you, Gareth, on Glass? I thought maybe I could read out a um, a review. Oh, yeah. A, um, a reviewer that hated it. Okay, go on. So it's by uh, a, a reviewer called Isabella Clemens. Oh, um, thank you, uh, and Isabella. Is- Isabella says, biggest waste of two hours ever. Was it two hours um, long? Was it two hours long? I mean, well, go on. We'll come to it. She specifies. So. Okay. Um, this movie had the worst plot. The movie was complete jump cuts to such irrelevant plot points. The great unveiling they have is the most treacherous thing to watch. I'm loving the use of treacherous in that sentence. Yeah. Yeah. I hated it. At one point, I physically hit my head against the seat in anger. Jesus, calm down, Isabella. <laughs> Jesus. Isabella, Isabella, I'm going to recommend. She needs to go to this psychiatric facility. See, come see Psychiatry Man. <laughs> He'll fix it up. Yeah. The movie started, but it never really started. So what is that it's sentence? It's so boring. I love this. It's so good. I think Mark Kermode <laughs> needs to be worried about his job on, you know, reviewing films. Yeah, look out, mate. It features... Actually, incidentally, Mark Kermode really liked this. Oh, I, didn't, I, haven't, I haven't heard his review yet, but um, I'm interested. Yeah, he liked it. It features off-brand Hayley Steinfeld and her chilling friendship with that terrible guy 
who was amazing in Split, but this movie sucked. I had to pee the whole time, but if I, I, if, <laughs> but I knew if I got up, I would have just left. I want to die after watching Jesus. that. Jesus! Right? <laughs> Again, if a film is giving you that kind of reaction, stop watching movies, honestly. It's not worth it. I went in a group of four and we all hated it. I didn't understand it. It sucked. There was no explanation for stupid stuff. It's still going and the on. super cool ending sucked. Also, the son of the one guy was a terrible actor. I hated him. Oh, no part right. was exciting. Mr. Glass literally sucks. I hate that guy. He's so boring. <laughs> Every time I thought the movie was ending, it kept going. A bit like this review. I yes. told my friend I hoped it would end soon at 12.01. Is this going to it end It ended soon? at 1.04. It just kept going. That movie <laughs> is 128 minutes too long. So there you go. Um, well, I have to say, listeners, that luckily um, we have been interviewing for a new cast member and Isabella has got the job. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the team. Welcome to the team, Isabella. No, only joking. That is absolutely hilarious. I think her and John would actually make a very good podcast team. I just, they would get I, on yeah, so well. They're on the very same wavelength. Thank you for that, Gareth. That has uh, cheered me up and it's made me you know, think that our review actually isn't that bad. I think it's good, but not great. And it's, it's a fascinating bad, trilogy, but not terrible. which I think had some good ideas, some really good grounded superhero elements, which is great because we're, you know, it's getting a bit silly at the moment with superhero films to an extent. And we love stuff like Marvel, but, you know, it's off world, it's different galaxies, it's Captain Marvel and she's going to be overpowered. She's going to be like Thor and it's just crazy. So it's quite nice to have this grounded superhero film, but it does just feel like it's left in the past a little bit. And the ideas just weren't executed very well, whether it be because of budget reasons or scripting reasons or Shyamalan's vision and someone not really reining him in and, and sort of getting to different solutions to problems you know but i did enjoy it and that's because i'm a fan of you know the trilogy mm. so that's probably why. whereas i'm probably we're probably just either side of the uh the spectrum of the the spectrum and i'm and i'm saying it was bad but not terrible <laughs> you're going it's good but not great yeah um i know i'm right each to their own. Thank you for listening to us, guys. And if you could let us know your thoughts on Glass, we'll try and, you know, fit it into a, a future podcast or write back to you with, you know, what we thought about your thoughts. And if you could do that by emailing us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. That is at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. We would appreciate any other subscriptions. If you're not subscribed, please do subscribe. We really appreciate it. We love the interaction with you guys. And we love you guys listening to our thoughts, our ramblings, usually mm. drunken. John? He's a negative man, so makes it quite interesting sometimes, doesn't it, Gareth? It does, it does. I mean, we're... I, I'm just worried that I'm turning into him. Yeah. His, his influence is infiltrating me. Do you think you could be the horde? Like, you're just absorbing these personalities. John, then you'll, you know, you'll start <laughs> drinking a lot like Emma, and then before you know... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, oh. she's not here. She's not That's here. Harsh. No, um, I'm only, I'm only no. joking. She, she drinks an average amount. We all do. So, and on that note, <laughs> oh, let's leave it. Good. Actually, just just quickly before before we totally move on, there is something that I wanted to bring up today, and that is that there is a real life superhero um, living in Seattle. So, kind of Phoenix Phoenix Jones. His okay, name is go on Phoenix Jones, and he is a genuine real life superhero. He's a 
um he's a like a what was it what does he do he does um magic like mixed martial arts mma right yeah, yeah, yeah but he also he's very rich and has like this amazing superhero costume and goes and stops crime in seattle well so never give away your identity i've always said that and you know <laughs> if you're in the seattle police department you know what you've got to do there's no such thing as vigilante stop him i'm part of the illuminati well, group and i'll be going there to uh, you know sort him out so uh <laughs> clover him free leaf clover mm. him um what's coming up gareth what's coming up oscars yeah the return yep, of the walking dead the shining mm. later this week on Castle Rock oh, Critical good. and this channel that is very good and if you haven't seen The Shining watch it because it's excellent and scary Captain Marvel in like three weeks time Game of Thrones coverage is you know going to be starting again and everyone loves Game of Thrones oh my and goodness. the Watchmen you know coverage because that's starting on HBO later this year and we want to get that started and get the fans excited about that content so we've got lots of stuff coming up the rest of the group so will much. be with us later this week and all that's left to say is thank you for joining me today Gareth uh, thank you for joining me thanks for coming mm. back yes i am back i thought we might lose you to rwanda i mm. thought we'd... it was tempting i thought about just living there it's a beautiful beautiful country but i have returned to fulfill our podcasting destiny and thank you very much to the listeners it has been a very fun discussion on glass which is a flawed but fun film and see you guys later bye latest potatoes